Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning, church. How are you guys doing today? Looking good? Are you blessed? It's been rich already, hasn't it? God is good. If you're visiting for the first time, special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. Or if you're kind of new, still kind of feeling like you're new, I want you to know that uh, we're glad that you're here and pray for you that you will experience God in a special way. Amen? I want to say congratulations to all the runners from the race this morning. Uh, (laughs) We have a good handful from our church who ran this morning. Uh, One of them even did a marathon and is here, our very own Jerry (laughs) Jaraplassen. My daughter, Nicole, saw him after the race. She said, he ran a marathon, and he looks like he's okay. (laughs) Yeah, Jerry, amazing. Congratulations to everybody who ran, whether it's a 5K, 10K, or longer. And bless you if you're here, too. (laughs) Well, today we are continuing our series, Beyond the Signs. Uh, We are in week five. And um, as you know... Beyond the Signs is all about looking at the miracles that Jesus performed and trying to understand what are they telling us. And as you know by now, being in week five, uh, Beyond the Signs are all about revealing who Jesus is. And today we're going to look at yet another miracle that Jesus performed in John chapter six. But before we do, uh, let's pray. So, Father, thank you, God, for your richness, your goodness, your kindness. Lord, thank you for every good gift that comes from you. And, Father, I ask that now you would help us just kind of turn the eyes of our heart toward you, tune in our inner ear to your voice. I pray, God, that we will sense your presence and hear you speaking to us and receive from you. Lord, you're the revealer. You're the teacher. We ask that uh, you be real to each one of us today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be reading from John chapter 6, and I like to read from the New Living Translation. If you haven't discovered it yet, if you're looking for a Bible version that you would Uh, find easy to read. I highly recommend it. The NLT, one of my favorite translations, will read from verse 16 of John chapter 6. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Soon, a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, don't be afraid, I'm here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. Well, that's an amazing experience. As you recall from last week, uh, this uh, passage is something that happened right after uh, Jesus fed the 5,000. 
And uh, that happened during the daytime, and then later in the evening, it says the disciples were waiting for him on the seashore, and he didn't show up, and they decided to go on to Capernaum. And while they were out there on the water, a storm came, and they were having it rough. They'd been rowing for three or four miles. And then all of a sudden, who would have expected it? Jesus shows up walking on the water, and... They're just like freaked out. I mean, who would have expected that? It had never been done before. And so they're terrified. And in Matthew's account, he says some of them thought it was a ghost. They didn't know what to think. And so he says, it's okay. It's me. He said, don't be afraid. I'm here. And so immediately they were relieved. They welcomed him into the boat. Actually, before he got into the boat, Matthew's account says that uh, Peter, bold Peter, he's in the boat. He says, Lord, if that's you, Call me out to walk on the water with you. And so Jesus says, come. And so he steps out of the boat and takes a few steps, and then he notices the waves and the wind all around him, and he begins to sink. And Jesus grabs him, and he says, why did you doubt me? And they get back in the boat, and the moment they get in the boat, the storm stops. And it says immediately they arrived at their destination. Wow. Wow. It says, when that happened, it says, the disciples worshipped him. You know, up until this point, they had been gradually understanding the revelation that was happening through all the signs. Right after he turned water into wine, it says, his disciples believed in him. But this is the first time in scripture where it says the disciples worshipped him. Because they were amazed at what happened in that moment. I mean, just think about it. Have you ever been in a storm, really bad storm? I mean, how many of you have been an eyewitness to a super typhoon here on Guam? Raise your hand. Most of us. You know, the, most, the first one that I remember was Pamela back in 76. I mean, the power was out on the island for three months. It was bad. But the more recent memorable one that I remember was Typhoon Paca, probably because I was older and I had a family to protect, and our house was fairly new, and uh, it, was, it was taking the test to see if it leaked or if the windows would break or what. And I just remember weathering that storm, just feeling kind of anxious inside. And if you recall, if you lived on the northern side of the island, the eye of the storm passed over. And there was a time, a few minutes there, where it was calm. Relatively speaking, compared to the rest of the storm, it was like peaceful. You peek out the door and out the window, and you're like, wow, is it over? But we know better, right? Here on Guam, we're experienced. And so get back in the house, shut the door, because something's coming. And as soon as the eye wall hit, which is the worst, it was like, bam! It was like things just busted. One of my louvers came off, one of my shutters came off, and then something went boom on the, on the roof of the house. I was like, whoa, what is that? I had no idea. Later, after the storm, I went out, Got up on the roof, didn't see anything. Saw some damage up there. I looked next door, my neighbor's roof was gone. It had lifted up, come across the top of my roof, and just sheared off like a, like a machete all the air ducts for the plumbing and the electrical for the air conditioning and the air, and the air vent, the exhaust vent for the bathroom. Everything just, like, just swiped it off, went to the other side of the house and landed in the yard. Now, that's where I came up with this idea that Guam is the only place in the world that has what you call typhoon etiquette. 
which is anything that lands in your yard after the typhoon belongs to you. <laughs> the neighbor never came and got their roof. <laughs> But later, after the storm, I heard the story, what happened from their perspective. There was a family in that room where the roof came off. It was an annex built to, it was an extension built to another house. They're in there, and all of a sudden, and they're out in the open, the light's in the house, and rain is pelting them like little darts. And they actually thought of running over to my house and banging on the door so they could get in. But they saw a little window to the main house that was next to the extension they were in. They crawled through that window to safety. Now, I don't know. I pray none of us ever have an experience like that. But imagine what it might be like for a moment. Just imagine in this room. What if the eye wall of a super typhoon hit this building and the roof just went up like a kite? And all of a sudden, here we all are exposed, the rain pelting us, and the chairs are starting to blow and roll and slide across the room, and there's panic. And where are you going to go? Where are you going to run? Go to one of the closets? Go to the bathroom? The foyer? Maybe try to make it to your car? Now, I pray none of us ever have an experience like that, but imagine being in a situation like that, and in that moment of pandemonium and people screaming and scrambling for shelter, All of a sudden, Jesus is standing on the stage here, and he goes, peace, be still. And everything just stops. And you're standing there going, what just happened? And compared to the noise that we had earlier, it's like silent. And there's no wind, and there's no rain. And we're all just in awe, because we thought we were about to get hurt or or worse. What would you think in that moment? What would you do in a moment like that? Matthew says, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. We may not experience a physical trauma like that, but very often we experience other kinds of storms, emotional, relational, spiritual storms that feel just as bad, as if we're in a crisis. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I pray that you remember something that Jesus said. It's the only words that he speaks in this passage. Let's go to the next slide. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. I'm here. There are, you know, in this story, the darkness is symbolic of evil. And evil takes many forms. I just want to highlight a couple of them today. We don't have time to do an exhaustive list. But one of the ways that we can experience darkness is through unmet needs, difficult circumstances, and this world system. Now, unmet needs is probably one of the most difficult to recognize because when you have a need that hasn't been met, you don't really know it. It's never been there. You're like the proverbial goldfish. You're the only one who doesn't know it's in water. And so, for example, let's say respect wasn't practiced in the home. You would never know you didn't have it because it was never around and you have no point of comparison. Until maybe you get older, 
But as a younger person, you don't even know what it looks or feels like. It's an unmet need. And there are many unmet needs that we have, and sometimes they're actually very traumatic. We, just, we don't even know it. We have the need to be known. We have the need to be heard. We have the need to be respected. We have the need to be loved. We have the need to be welcomed. And all of these are actually given by God that draw us into relationship with him and with each other. And he meant for those needs to be fulfilled and there to be joy in that. But that's one of the ways that the enemy is at work and that we can experience darkness is when there's unmet needs. When we're in a situation and we're hurting inside, we come to a, a point where we feel like we're in a storm and we're like desperately needing help and just call out to God, Lord, help. I remember when I was a younger Christian, I had so much unforgiveness, I had so much self-judgment, I had so much accusation, I had so much condemnation, it was like a poison to my soul. And one day I couldn't even get out of bed. And I just said, God, help. And he took me through every single memory that I had judged myself for. And he allowed me to walk through a process of forgiving myself. And I said, Lord, you forgave me for that. Therefore, I forgive myself. And then he would take me through another memory. And I would say, Lord, you forgave me for that, so I forgive myself. And then another memory and another. And it took all morning long. It was like he was doing spiritual surgery. And when I was done, I was emotionally exhausted. And I just fell into a deep sleep. And when I woke up, it was like I had a new lease on life. I mean, the air was fresher, the sky was brighter, the grass was greener, and a thousand pounds had been lifted from my shoulders. God is amazing to be able to meet our needs. That's the biggest one, is forgiveness. The biggest one is the need for forgiveness. I'll share with you some stories in my life when I was in dark times and God came and helped. One is um, I was going to school in Hawaii. I was a junior. And one semester, I had just gotten way overcommitted, too much responsibility. I was working. I was doing lots of ministry almost full time, plus trying to do a full time load. And I just got behind more and more every week, every month. And I got to a point where <clears throat> probably three months into the semester, I realized, man, I am like three months behind in everything, in the reading, in the assignments, in the research. And I started feeling like everything that I was living for, everything I was doing, everything I was working toward was about to crumble and fall apart. And just this dark tunnel just began to close in on me. I was like, oh, no. Everything that I've been doing, it's all just going to fail. And all I could do was cry out to God, help. And I fell asleep that night. And I can't explain what I'm about to tell you. I guess it wouldn't be a miracle if I could. But three days later, I was completely caught up with everything that I needed to do. I don't know what happened. I can't explain it. I don't know how God did that. I just know it was like Jesus stepping into the boat and the storm stopped 
And all of a sudden, I was at the destination that I was supposed to be. And God can do that when we're in our deepest, darkest moments and we need help. You, we don't even understand how it happens, but he can change things. You know, when you begin to live by faith, I mean, amazing things can happen. I started walking with God as he began to reveal his power and what he could do to me, with me, for me, through me. And so I went on this missions trip to the east coast of the United States. And due to uh, unforeseen change in circumstances, I ended up having a long layover in New York. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to uh, play tourist. I'm going to go around and visit the Empire State Building and Greenwich Village and... and, uh, I'll find a place to stay as I go. I was just kind of naive and cocky and thinking, okay, it's all going to work out and just trust in my abilities. I thought, I'll just wash some dishes in exchange for a spot to sleep in. Something will happen. Well, all day long, I've been walking around New York, and then it was about 10 p.m., and it was dark, and it began to rain, and I still had no place to sleep. And so I saw this all-night diner, and I went in there just to get out of the rain, and I sat at a table reading my Bible, And all day long, the Lord had been saying to me, why don't you ask me to help you? I'm like, it's okay, Lord, I got it. No, 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 why don't you ask me to help you, really? I said, no, I I got it, I can handle it. It It's just in my youthful foolishness and cockiness, I was like, I got this. (laughs) 10 o'clock at night, I didn't have anything. And so I'm sitting there, and I decide, okay, God, I've been hearing you, let me give you a try. So I just opened my Bible at random happens to open to Matthew 6.33, which says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you, meaning your physical needs. And I tell you, man, it was powerful. It was like I knew God was speaking to me. And yet I still didn't have total faith. And so I just kind of took my Bible, and I snapped it shut almost in the air, and I said, Okay, God, show me what you can do. You know, I look back on that now, thinking, that's so foolish. I mean, the God who created the entire universe, and I'm sitting there going, Show me what you can do? But, you know, God is patient with us. (laughs) I kid you not, 10 minutes later, somebody walks up to me. I've been walking the pavements of New York all day long. And in 10 minutes, somebody walks up to me, snaps his finger in front of me, and he goes, aha, the Koran. I said, "Uh, no. He goes, ha, 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 he walked away. And I just watched him walk away, and I thought, man, New York's got all kinds of weird people. I'm sorry if you're from New York, excuse me. <laughs> Just, uh, I uh, confess my, foolish, my, my immaturity at the time. But um, so I'm sitting there reading my Bible, and he comes back and he sits at my table. And I said, um, excuse me? He goes, go on, read. I was like, oh, okay, you want to hear it? So I begin reading out loud, two, three verses into it. He goes, isn't that amazing? And so I, at first I thought he was an antagonist. Actually, he was friendly. And so, oh, okay. So we start talking. He's like, hey, where are you from? When did you get here? I said, well, I just landed this morning. He goes, where are you staying? I said, actually, I don't have a place to stay. He goes, you can stay at my place. Ten minutes. I snapped my Bible. I said, God, show me what you can do. A guy walks up to me, says, you can stay at my place. So we get in a taxi. We go down the road, and it's getting shadier every block that we go. <laughs> I mean, abandoned cars, ladies standing on the street corners, and I'm like, where are we going? And uh, so we get to this, like, what looks like an abandoned building, two, three-story wood apartment building, and we go up these creaky stairs with a little 15-watt light bulb up in the top. You can barely see anything. And we get to his door, and there's, like, 
four deadbolt locks. He pulls out his keys, and he opens the door, and we walk in. It's this plush, beautiful apartment. I'm like, wow. I mean, expensive paintings with the lighting coming from the bottom, you know, to highlight it. Nice kitchen, nice furniture, antiques, beautiful things. So I sleep there. <clears throat> the next day, I wake up. I'm crossing from the bathroom to the living room. I look to my left at the entrance, and he's handing somebody a pound of marijuana in a big b- Ziploc bag. <laughs> so that's why this place is so nice. <laughs> He comes back into the living room, and he goes, so, now you know my secret. I said, yeah. He goes, when I saw you that night reading your Bible in the all-night diner, I used to experience God at one time in my life. When I saw you, I, I knew I had to see you. I thought maybe God could use you to help me get back to where I used to be. And so we spent another day together. He gave me $80, sent me on my way, and I continued to my missions trip, and I never saw him again. But you know, I was in a dark moment, in the rain, literally in the dark, in a hard situation. And then Jesus shows up. And when he shows up, he does more than just answer your simple request. He's got multiple things going on on many levels. God is amazing. And so, you know, there can be unmet needs. There can be difficult circumstances like what I've described. Sometimes... Um, the things that are really hardest to deal with are the things that, uh, that we think are safe, that we think are supportive, <clears throat> that we think give us life. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, family, uh, maybe my job, maybe my health. All of these things are things I rely on that help me do life. And maybe when I'm young, they work for me really well. But you know, sometimes the very things that we think are life They're not really life. Uh, There's only one who is life. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. These other things, they're all created things. But sometimes we rely on them and we, we hold on to them as a source as if we think they're life. You know, my job, which can be a tremendous blessing. Have you ever been in a situation where your job became a place of conflict? Maybe a place that wasn't very safe, a place you didn't want to go. And all of a sudden, it became a nightmare. Or maybe family, where we're supposed to get love and nurture and security, a place where we belong. And then sometimes there's conflict in family. And all of a sudden, my family is my enemy. And no longer that comfort or that source of love. Or maybe my health. The thing I relied on, the thing that I was confident now is the very thing that plagues me day in and day out. You know, there are things that can turn on us. And oftentimes the Lord allows situations to kind of overstress us so that we get to a place where we're not trusting in those things anymore and we turn to him and say, God, help. All of that is surrounded by something called the world system. It's... Um, something that we're in, but we're not supposed to be of it. Scripture says, be in the world, but not of the world. And so I want to show us a scripture that talks about the world system, 1 John 2, 16. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, 
but from this world. I just want to talk about that for a moment. A craving for physical pleasure. Some translations call it lust. A craving for everything we see. That's talking about materialism. Talking about money. About the desire to be rich. Nothing wrong with riches, by the way. Nothing wrong with material things. It's only when it has a wrong priority and it becomes more important than God. And there shall be no substitute for God. And then the, the pride in our achievements and our possessions. Sometimes pride isn't so much what we've accomplished. Sometimes it's just the kingdom of self. Sometimes it's just my stubbornness and my selfishness. All of these are not from the Father, but from this world. The Lord wants us to get to a place where we're not operating under the world system. Jesus said, my kingdom is within you. His kingdom is any place that he rules and reigns. And he has a different way for us to operate, a different set of values for us to live by. Sometimes we're going through hard times, though. We're going through difficulty. And how do we navigate that? Now, what do I do when I'm feeling lonely? What do I do when I have a financial need? Now, what do I do when there's conflict in the family? And sometimes it's as if we're the disciples sitting on the shore on the edge of the water. Water represents the water of life. And it's like, you know what? Jesus is not here right now. So what do I do? Maybe it starts to get dark. And it gets even darker. And it gets even darker. And sometimes we get a little impatient and we're like, you know what? This need seems to be very urgent. I need to do something. And sometimes we just decide, you know what? I'm not going to wait anymore. I'm going to go and get my need met. I'm going to just go without Jesus and start doing life. And so we go for that relationship because I feel lonely. Or we go for that loan or that credit card because I have a financial need. Or we go and set somebody straight because there's a conflict and we're afraid we're going to get hurt. And so we take matters into our own hands. And what happens when we get out there on the water of life without Jesus? Sometimes there's a storm. And the winds begin to blow and the waves begin to increase. And it's like we're rowing and we're rowing and we're rowing. And we can be out there for hours and hours rowing, wondering if we're making any progress. It's when we're in these times of difficulties that we really need to rethink. How is it that we deal with struggle? How is it that we respond to trials? You know, what, what, what is my response to pain? Last night, a group of us got together over at the conference room in the other building, and we were praying for all of you, praying for the whole church. And some things were shared that I was just amazed. I was like, wow, God, there's a theme. But some things were said that were so fitting with the message today. Uh, one of them was by my wife, Terry. And I'd like her to invite her to come on up. And if Van, you could give her the microphone. And I'd just like her to share um, a thought that she shared last night during the prayer meeting as we come to a close. You know, many of us... Uh may be aware of this, and if you're not, there are many people in our church right now that are suffering and are in pain. Um, you know, because we are uh, pastors, we, get, we hear this, and also counselors, we hear it. There's a lot of emotional, a lot of physical pain, 
some of you uh, may know that uh, many of the leaders, their parents, including mine, are in the hospital or are, uh, have terminal diseases and sickness. And some of the leaders here have been in the hospital and there's pain. And I was just asking the Lord, um, well, I was talking to my older, my older uh, daughter, Tara, and I said, it's just too much. There was just one day I just said, it's just too much. I was just feeling it. And she said, Mom, she said, suffering and pain is not natural. It's not what God intended for us, which is why we try to move away from it. We try to avoid it. We try, you know, I said to her, I just kind of want to close up and just not deal with it. And she said, but remember, even Jesus himself did not want to deal with the pain. He struggled in the garden. And he said, you know, if you can take this away from me, do. But then he ended up saying, but your will, not mine, be done. And she said, Mom, you know, we're in a season, you're in a season where there's just so much pain around you. What is God trying to teach you? And I had not looked at it that way. Usually, you know, as soon as pain comes, I'm like, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to, I don't want to be around it. I don't want to hear it. I, it's just too hard. In Hebrews 5.8, he's talking about Jesus. He says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That there is something to learn in the suffering. And the Lord's been saying to me, uh, embrace the suffering. Be in it. And it says, uh, even in Job, you know, many of us know that Job suffered so much. And he said, shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Though Job said, are we just going to receive the good from God? We do great, right, when things are good. But the Lord said to me, I want to mature you. And I believe this is a word not just for me, but for the body of Christ. He says, I want to mature you. And that requires some suffering. And embrace the suffering and there's a scripture, um, it just, it's just all around the suffering, but there's a scripture from 1 Peter 4, and it says, since then, yeah, since then, since, um, since Christ suffered physical pain, and some of you don't know this, but I've been in a lot of physical pain. I wasn't here last Sunday. I was just in a lot of physical pain. I mean, it was, if the pain level was 10, I was probably a 9. And he says, since then, Christ suffered physical pain. You must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer for if you have suffered physically for Christ you have you are finished with sin you won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires but you will be anxious to do the will of God church I believe the scripture that is in James 1 and it says you know that count it all joy when we have trials of many kinds because it's the testing of our faith that will develop perseverance, and, and the end result is that we will be mature. It says, complete, lacking nothing. And so I, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, and maybe he's speaking to you, that when we're in the storm, when the darkness is coming, he says, and when the suffering is happening, he says, embrace it, because Jesus embraced the cross. It will not, it, we will not crush under it. But we also have to have a different perspective on suffering, we, we want, and so I felt like the Lord just wanted us to know that, that he is maturing. And I believe that's a word, that he's maturing this body of Christ for a greater purpose. 
And so I just wanted to share that. Thank you. So there are two responses that we can have when we experience difficulty. We can go to the next slide. Either faith or fear. Are you going to have fear in the storm or are you going to be fearless in the storm? And it all depends on whether or not we know who Jesus is and how we respond to his presence. Remember the only words that Jesus spoke in this passage, this story where he walked on water. He said, don't be afraid, I'm here. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here. God, thank you that you are helping us to move from being afraid to trusting you. God, I ask that for each one of us, every single person in this room, that you would strengthen our faith. Lord, help us to know, to see, to feel, to sense who you are and to respond to you because of who you are, to trust you. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want you to think of the most difficult situation that you're facing right now. And if you would, I'd want to take, I'd like to invite you to take some time just to invite the Lord into your boat. In the midst of the wind and the waves, invite him to come into the boat and to be with you. He is enough. And he can calm the storm and he can bring you to the place where you're supposed to be in his presence. And so I want to give you some time just to do some business with God. Just say, Lord, what are you saying to me? We're just going to take our time and linger. I'd like to ask the worship team to come on up. Say, Lord, what are you saying to me? as you're experiencing God in whatever way that is, I want to invite you to respond to him with faith, to trust him because of who he is. Don't know if you caught the words earlier. It says, Lord, you call me out on the waters and I call your name. I just want to invite you, if you feel like those words resonate with your heart, I want to invite you just to respond to God where you are in your seat, if you want to come up and just experience God here at the front at the altar while the team is singing.
Father, we worship you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.